Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's great to be with you for this special episode about the State of the State Address in 2023. Uh, Governor Stitt will be delivering his fifth State of the State Address here shortly. Um, and joining me, to we're going to be watching and commenting live uh, our two special guests. One is uh, one of our interns this semester, Micah Caruso. Hello, Micah. Hello. Thanks for joining us. And the other guest is my father, Eddie Moore. Hi, Dad. Hey, how's it going? Long-time listener, first-time guest. This is very exciting. <laughs> All right, well, um, we are waiting. Here, I'm turning the volume up now. The governor is entering the House chamber. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, the 6th of February. Um, and the governor is making his way up to the speaker's desk to deliver his State of the State address. He's, you know, handing out copies, and he'll be kind of getting started. We're going to just watch along so listeners you will hear the audio for the speech, and we may turn it down and give some commentary along the way. All right, let's, uh, let's listen in. People of Oklahoma, it is my distinct honor to recognize my friend, the chief executive, our governor, Kevin Stitt. So that was Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell introducing the governor, as is customary. I must say, on this live stream on OETA, the new cameras look quite nice. They do. Really do. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell, Mr. Speaker, Mr. President Pro Tem, members of the 59th Legislature, members of the judiciary, tribal leaders, to Sarah and my family, and most especially to my fellow Oklahomans. It is such an honor to be standing before you today. I stood at this podium to give my first State of the State address four years ago after promising to deliver Oklahoma's turnaround. And a turnaround we delivered. We said that we would put a fresh set of eyes on state government, cut red tape, and create a more transparent government, and we delivered. We said that we would eliminate our budget deficit and replenish our state savings, and we delivered. We said that we would boost economic growth and bring more jobs to the state, and we delivered. We said that we would support our brave law enforcement, and we delivered. We said that we would cut taxes, and we delivered. We said that we would invest in infrastructure and education, and we delivered. We've done this by sticking to our conservative principles of lower taxes, family, freedom, and faith. I'm going to jump in and say I wish that someone would tell the governor to quit banging on his podium because it's loud in my ears as I watch this. So, li- <laughs> listeners, I apologize to that. Yes. Uh, that was the introduction I expected, right? He's Pretty much, yeah. My, my Oklahomans, the state of our state is the strongest it's ever been. I am proud to present my plan for the greatest legislative session we've had yet. First, to drive excellence in education. Second, to continue to make Oklahoma the most business-friendly state in the nation. And third, to protect Oklahomans and promote freedoms. 
Over the last four years, we've made changes together in education, removing zip code barriers, modernizing our funding formula, and raising teacher pay. But our efforts can't stop there. Parents spoke loud and clear at the ballot box last November in support of our vision to create more options for kids. We know not every student learns the same way. Every child deserves a quality education that fits their unique needs, regardless of economic status or background. Let's fund students, not systems. Let's create more schools, not fewer schools. In my executive budget, I am proposing the following initiatives. Education savings accounts, performance-based pay raises for teachers, the Innovation School Fund to help start more schools, like the Aviation Academy in Norman, the most expansive reading initiative in the nation to get students reading at grade level, expanding concurrent enrollment so that high schoolers can more easily earn college credits. These strategic initiatives will bring Oklahoma's education system out of the bottom and into the top 10. If you're playing along with a bingo card, there's top 10, which we've said. Also, that was a, a pretty bold start off mm-hmm. on about vouchers, right, and his yeah. education plan. Yes, it's going to be part of his plan. It's, it's what they've always wanted. <laughs> with another 700 on the waiting list. On a recent visit to Santa Fe Sparrow Upper Elementary, I heard from their superintendent, Chris Brewster, teachers, parents, and their principal, Meg Wheeler. Meg got her start in New York City at a charter school through Teach for America. She is a true pioneer who led her school to achieving what was a few years ago impossible. Today, Sparrow is the only A school in the neighborhood. Here's what Meg had to say. Families are the experts. They should be the one to make the choice about where their kids go to school. I couldn't agree with you more. And for all those parents in Oklahoma whose child is stuck in a failing school, we're fighting for you. Meg and Chris are with us today. Will you guys both please stand so we can honor you and what your service You know, it's a time-honored tradition to have a special guest who you name. Last year in the state of the state, he had the president of Canoe, the electric vehicle uh, manufacturer. And they, I mean, he may be here again this year. We'll certainly find out. Um, I think uh, a couple of things stand out to me real quick while they're applauding. One is that he is highlighting a teacher from New York City for Oklahoma, and that might not go over well right. with folks, especially for someone who tends to rail against, you know, we don't want New York City values or big city values or California values here in Oklahoma. So we'll see how that plays out. And then I think secondly, what stands out is um, a, a brief phrase he said early on of we want more schools, not fewer mm-hmm. schools. Right. And to me, that came on the heels of um, of Ryan Walters' presentation in Atoka with Speaker McCall, where he said he was considering breaking up Tulsa Public Schools into multiple school districts, which mm-hmm. would effectively, and that's not more schools, that's more school districts, which is a big flip because in the last five years, there's been a lot of talk about consolidating rural districts to reduce administrative overhead. True. So yeah. I think some of the, it sounds, sounds to me like some of the things they're proposing are and yeah, kind of flip counterintuitive yeah. to what yes. the, their party's been proposing the last few years. 
Well, and I just uh, bridged us from one applause to the next. <laughs> Good job. And listeners, if you're still hanging with us, after the speech, we'll kind of give our, our two cents. Oklahoma, the most business-friendly state in the entire nation. Since 2019, over 23,000 new jobs have been created. And today, Oklahoma ranks as the third fastest growing economy in the entire nation. Companies from all over the country and the world are moving to our state to build and expand. Google's second largest data center in the world is right here in Oklahoma. USA Rare Earth, the nation's first critical mineral to ma magnet manufacturing, is right here in Oklahoma. American Airlines, Dell, Amazon, Boeing, these companies could be located anywhere in the world but they choose to be right here in Oklahoma. The Dell plant is closed. This year, we must capitalize on the progress we've Wait, made. Wait, it's closed? That means continuing to focus on key areas, energy, infrastructure, workforce development, and tax policy. Let's continue to diversify our energy grid and embrace our more of everything approach. We're so proud of, that Oklahoma ranks fifth in the nation for natural gas production. Six in the nation for oil production. We're also ranked in the number 10th in the nation for renewable energy production. Then why are we the number My administration one cost? Will to lead That's to right. Consumer. That's a good point, Eddie. We have Oklahoma has the highest energy cost for consumers of any state in the country. I don't hear that in the speech today. Huh. of the world and an undeniable competitive advantage for us. I'm trying to fact check some of this as we go along. And I know, it, me too. I haven't found the data, but it looks like Oklahoma was not in the top 10 fastest growing economies, uh -huh. at least through 2018. Now, that's five years ago. Things may have changed. To rails and runways, to broadband. Oklahoma commute times are some of the shortest in the nation. We must work fast to keep it that way. And as Americans are turning to Oklahoma to build their future, let's learn from gridlock cities like Austin and Denver, and let's get ahead. Broadband and internet access are critical to Oklahoma's future. When I came into office, Oklahoma was ranked in the bottom 10 for broadband access. Today, we've jumped 23 spots to 26 in the nation in fastest coverage. Last year, thanks to the leadership of House Speaker Charles McCall, we formed the Oklahoma Broadband Office and set a vision to deliver high-speed internet access to 95% of Oklahomans by the year 2028. That really is a huge deal. I mean, especially with schools like this last mm -hmm. couple of weeks, we've had ice storms and schools had to close. Yep. And I talked about this with my kids, that children in rural areas or any areas, even urban areas that have slow internet are really at a huge disadvantage. Mm -hmm. yep. As companies flood to Oklahoma, workforce is the number one <coughs> challenge facing businesses. Let's make sure our universities and higher education are partnering with companies to train the workforce of tomorrow. I want to challenge OU and OSU to grow and deliver a quality education to 40,000 students by the year 2030. I think it's worth noting that 
OU's budget, I think, is only now 6% funded through state dollars. We refer to them as a public university, but 94% of their funds are not from taxpayer dollars. What? Yeah. Wait. It comes from the football, the sports income that's being generated. Tuition. The the tuition is a huge thing. It's gone up tremendously. And the... Uh, the NIL, the name, image, likeness uh-huh. monies oh, are starting to come in. He said something about tuition. Can we go back and hear it? We, have to, we can probably go back later. Okay. Because I know that's something that we're concerned with at University of Central Oklahoma. Sure. Tuition has been growing steadily, but yeah. the teacher pay has been going down as well. Right. I, I want our universities to have less DEI officers and more career placement counselors. That's going to be a contentious take. I want to challenge our high schools and our career techs to be more responsive to our workforce. Because Oklahomans also need more truck drivers, more mechanics and plumbers and electricians and aviation mechanics. I want us to rethink our career tech funding model. You know, we created that model over 60 years ago. Let's reimagine our approach. Instead of just building new buildings, let's invest in high school freshmen so they graduate ready to start a career in cybersecurity or diesel mechanics. For Oklahoma to keep up with the jobs of tomorrow, we must transform our state economy into an innovation economy. Because in Oklahoma, we're not afraid of the future. We actually lean into it. We embrace it. He, so he said he wants more students going to college at lower tuition, but fewer buildings. Like these things don't all go together unless you're going to pony up a bunch of state dollars. But if you have more students, you still need more buildings to house people. Unless you do investment career tech, where the building is the learning as well as the the vocation uh, sure. part or more virtual. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. More virtual is probably what he was planning the McAllister Army Ammunition in Lawton Fort Sill, which is actually home to two of the U.S. Army's Futures Command. Oklahoma is also home to over 340,000 veterans. That's about 9% of our total population. With the help from our veteran members in this legislature, we enacted new laws last year to help Oklahoma veterans across our state. That's an interesting line, given the contentiousness around the Veterans Commission um, that's happening right now where you know, he's appointed new members and there's a lawsuit um, yes. going on about the director of the, of the Veterans Commission. It's my goal to make Oklahoma the best state in the nation for those who are fighting for our freedoms. I think politically, anything you can say in support of veterans tends to be popular, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw some, as witnessed by all of them, the groups that were there at the yeah, Capitol today. That's right. We have accumulated a $4 billion savings account, and we're going into session with a $1.8 billion surplus. With our fiscal discipline, economic growth, and our record savings, let's make a significant statement that Oklahoma is here to stay on the national stage. The time is now. We need to keep the momentum going. Let's cut taxes. Of course. 
national Bingo. stage for him. That's right, yeah. <laughs> In my executive budget, I am proposing to eliminate Oklahoma's state grocery tax. And that was proposed by Governor Fallon five years ago as well. And he opposed or his... That's right. He said he would have opposed it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's funny. What comes around goes around. <laughs> and reduce our personal income tax rate to 3.99%. So that would, we'll get into this more later this semester, but that would, or this spring, but that would certainly gut Oklahoma's revenue base and result ultimately in huge, huge cuts to state spending. Yes. I will continue to make Oklahoma one of the best states to live, work, and raise your family. When our economy is booming, everyone wins. Your personal income goes up, opportunities expand, and the entire tax base grows. But we also must remember there are families still struggling to keep up with record inflation. Before the pandemic, a gallon of milk cost $2.90. Today, it's $4.21. A dozen eggs were about $1.50. Today, they're over $5.50. We can provide, provide families with immediate relief at the store and with bigger paychecks. Last year, Georgia, Idaho, South Carolina, even New York cut taxes. Let's listen to the people we serve. Because Oklahomans sent a clear message last November when they overwhelmingly voted for our vision to shrink the size of government, to cut taxes, and to let the free market flourish. We need to return excess revenue to the people, not grow government. If I was being real nasty here, I would say his view, his version is to grow the, the money that's going back to the people, but it's only the people he selects. Mm. Not, not the broader electorate base. Not all the people. Right. Has already filed legislation to create an Oklahoma legacy fund, an initiative I fully support. Because of our record savings, we are in a strong financial position to invest into this fund and produce earnings for a permanent revenue stream. Yeah! Some, somebody was excited. To be fiscally prudent. We can now dream big. We can be bold without passing the risk on to Oklahomans and the taxpayers. Third, we're going to protect Oklahomans and we're going to promote freedoms. He said freedoms, plural, twice. Plural. I'd like him yeah. to enumerate which freedoms he's discussing. Why not just freedom in general? In general. Into our healthcare system. Wait, At how much? Time, we demanded a billion. A, we made it better for Oklahomans and implemented reforms to focus on improving health outcomes, not just billing for procedures. As a result, another 700 million is on the way to improve rural hospitals 
and expand primary care across Oklahoma. Protecting Oklahomans means that we continue to prioritize highway safety, especially for our rural highways. So far, we have secured millions in federal funding to add shoulders to rural highways. And just last week, Oklahoma secured the largest transportation grant in state history, $85 million for improving I-44 and the US-75 interchange. It's a major win for our state. I wonder if he's going to mention the turnpike. I've been waiting for it. Uh-huh. Too much contention with the people down in Norman. And protecting Oklahomans yeah. also means protecting the integrity of our elections. I'm calling for stronger transparency laws because Oklahomans deserve to know exactly who's funding political campaigns. A democracy is doomed when special interests can spread lies and leverage blank checks to buy elections. Witness your own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, campaign finance reform is very popular mm-hmm. by um, everybody, by people on both sides of the aisle. Yes. Politicians almost never do it on their own because they benefit from the opaqueness of our current laws. Oh. Protecting Oklahomans means standing up for our values and our way of life. Whether it's the preposterous vaccine mandate for our National Guard, the ESG attack on affordable domestic energy delivered by our oil and gas industry, or protecting Oklahomans' Second Amendment rights. We will always push back and fight back against the federal overreach from Washington, D.C. You know, so far he's said a lot of things, but I feel like it's been a little bit light on specific policy, which mm-hmm. is to be expected, but it'll be interesting to see how some of these things come to fruition if they do. Protecting Oklahomans means fully funding our law enforcement. Are they required to clap and stand, or do they choose to? No, they choose to. Okay, I was just checking. I don't know what those guys behind you do. <laughs> when we back the blue, we're creating safer communities, safer schools, and a safer Oklahoma. This also extends to combating drug and human trafficking and cracking down on illegal marijuana operations in our state. We have... We have deactivated over 800 illegal marijuana farms and completed 165 arrests and seized over 600,000 pounds of illegal marijuana. And let me be very clear on this point. As long as I'm governor, we will protect Oklahoma from the Communist Party of China. We will not allow foreign nationals Wait. to buy farmland in the state of Oklahoma. Where did that come from? That, so that is a legitimate issue is that um, a lot of uh, agricultural land that's been purchased in the last few years, specifically for like marijuana grows and stuff, is funded from Chinese corporations oh. who would find uh, someone like you, Oklahoma. Micah, uh, Oklahoman, who mm-hmm. 
can buy the land for them. So it's in your name, but they are the oh, one to do it. Oh, I didn't know. So about there's that. been cracking down on that. Yeah, wow. you have to have like 75 percent ownership has to be a local mm-hmm. Oklahoman. Okay. That's really interesting. I did not know about that. Safely reduced the number of inmates by over 5,000, reduced crime, and saved the taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. Today, Oklahoma is leading the nation in helping those with nonviolent records return to work and get a second chance. It's why we are also leading the nation in the lowest recidivism rate. Sarah Stitt is with us today. Sarah. Oh, she's beautiful. Sarah inspires me every day by her passion for helping Oklahomans, specifically Oklahomans who come from disadvantaged communities or a broken family or have been stuck in a cycle of poverty. In 2021, through her vision and your collaboration, I signed the Sarah Stitt Act into law, codifying her hard work. Its success has been widespread, not just in our state, but other states across the nation, like Arizona and Louisiana, and it even caught the attention of the White House. This year, I'm looking forward to enacting the next step, the Sarah Stitt Act 2.0, Sarah, on behalf of all of Oklahoma, thank you for your vision and your hard work. Like that was a, a he very closely named that the Sarah, Sarah Stitt 2.0 Act, which would have been pretty embarrassing for him. I think as a husband to refer to his wife oh as a 2.0. God. Protecting Oklahomans means making sure our foster care system prioritizes kids and making families whole. We've been now I agree with that. I, w- I wish I wish you could like have like a deeper meeting with him to ask exactly what that looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been taking great strides to reunite families over the years. In fact, the number of children in out of home care, including those in foster care, has decreased from eleven thousand three hundred to 6,500 over the last eight years. Over the next four years, I I want Oklahoma to have a conversation about how we can become the most pro-family state, how we can build a pro-family culture, In my view, fatherhood is an important piece of that puzzle. This is something that I'm always trying to balance, personally, time at work and time with my six kids. And I want to recognize my dad. I'll be honest, I didn't know his dad was going to be there when I invited my dad to come on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, I'd like to recognize my dad. (laughs) I think so. <laughs> My dad's not here. Can I recognize him? Yeah, sure. Let's go, Robert Caruso. <laughs> you know, 
know, sadly, there has been a movement in our nation that dads are dispensable. Right now, the United States is a world leader in fatherless families. One out of every four kids in America is living without a father in the home. And even those with a father, they're being let down. In the U.S., the average school-age boy only spends about 30 minutes per week with his dad. For comparison, that same boy on average will spend about 44 hours per week watching television, playing video games, and searching the internet. Let's expand and increase fatherhood programs in our communities. Let's continue. continue to foster the importance of healthy homes with two involved parents. And let's not leave out other members of the family, like grandparents and their rights. Let's become the most pro-family state in which every member of the family is respected, loved, supported, and included. You know, with me today is Marquise Dennis. Marquise was a product of these statistics, and he spent five years in prison. But he turned his experience into something amazing. Marquise is the founder and director of Birthright Living Legacy, which helps fathers take a more active role in their family. So far, they've helped over 200 fathers and their families. Marquise is with us today. Would you please stand up so we can recognize you? Oh, my gosh. That is an wicked looking man <laughs> not wicked and like bad but just like He's very strong yeah we must Big protect guy. our most vulnerable our children after all minors can't vote can't purchase alcohol can't purchase cigarettes we shouldn't allow a minor to get a permanent gender altering surgery in Oklahoma Device of politics. Yeah. It is. And listeners, by the time you're listening to this, you probably know, but there was a, a pretty significantly sized um, group of protesters at the Capitol today supporting trans rights. Um, when, uh, Micah and Eddie and I were up there earlier this morning before the speech and saw them outside, and um, I saw on Twitter that they were in the rotunda um, being, uh, you know, protesting, chanting, and being loud as, uh, as good, you know, peaceful protests are. Um, just before the speech, it is fascinating to me that that has become such a divisive and just hot-button issue mm -hmm. um, in the last couple of years. As governor, I will never shy away from calling out right from wrong. I will not be intimidated by partisan interest groups or make decisions based on groupthink. I will continue my responsibility to lead, not follow. I ran for this office five years ago because I was tired of seeing other states succeed while ours got left behind. I saw other parts of the country have confidence in their states and their state's future. But people just didn't see the American dream in Oklahoma. They saw it in other bigger, so-called better states. They saw it in Texas or California or Florida. They didn't seem to see it here. But today, we've all noticed something is different. Today, families and businesses from New York and Chicago and LA 
pack up their little apartments and come to the open plains of Oklahoma, ready to enjoy a safe community, mm-hmm. a government government that doesn't get in their way, and the opportunity to chase their American dream. Because that's what we've done. We have brought the American dream back to Oklahoma. That's a good line. I mean, I, but it's only true for people who aren't gay women or minorities. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's a nice line, but... You know, some people Reality and truth. Yeah. Well, that's a good line itself. But the truth is, we are top ten in best place states to start a business. We're top ten in the rate of new entrepreneurs. We're top ten in affordability and cost of living. We're top ten in energy production and renewable energy production. We're top ten in net domestic migration into our state. We're top ten in pre-K enrollment. The truth is, Oklahoma feeds the world, fuels the world, and protects freedoms around the world. The truth is, everything is possible right here from Oklahoma. I do like that line. It's a little self-serving. Well, yeah, but... (laughs) Well, that's the point. (laughs) I do appreciate that he actually named some things we are top ten in. Too often he just says it without specifying. Are those who protect the status quo... The future belongs to the brave, the pioneers, the go-getters, the can-doers. The future belongs to Oklahoma. God bless you, and may God continue to bless the great state of Oklahoma. All right. That concludes Governor Kevin Stitt delivering his fifth State of the State address before a joint session of the legislature. Uh, And now let's get back to a uh, little discussion about what we've just seen and and i'd love to hear your feedback eddie and micah um i know micah this is for sure i think your first time to Mm -hmm. watch the state of state so i'm really curious to kind of hear you as a college student uh what stood out to you most i guess the part for me is studying with public health is the devil or devil is in the details Mm -hmm. so a lot of the stuff um we like to look underneath the surface, look at all of the numbers, the specifics to really understand what's going on. Like the majority might look like something, but when you get into the nitty gritty of it, you find out that there's more perspectives in there. So I was looking forward to getting to see him in person because I've never actually seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just seen pictures. Um, and, you know, you, you don't really know anybody just from pictures. Oh, and sure. Yeah. He's kind of like, you know, Santa Claus. I've, you know, I've never really seen him, but people say he exists. And, you know, so I was wanting to see him, but I finally got to see the Capitol and it was beautiful. And, you know, it's it's encouraging to see how beautiful our Capitol is. Um, I think sometimes people tend to think of Oklahoma as a very dreary place Mm -hmm. i know whenever i've been talking to friends outside they're amazed whenever i send them pictures of our capital even though i'd never been inside of it because they were like oh wow it looks actually nice and i said yeah oklahoma is a nice place to live i love oklahoma so it was nice to actually get to go in there and see some of the beauty for myself but yeah it was it was nice to see some of that i will be honest i don't know all that much about politics so many of the things that he said 
I was looking up at the same time, trying to double check it or trying to educate myself with it. Um, Well, I know as we went along, you you know, you mentioned obviously certain issues like tuition and Mm -hmm. and those and uh, things dealing with higher education is of particular interest to you as a college student. Oh yeah. Well, it should be. Um, And I, I do think, um, you know, to your point that, it was, I think I said this along the way, a little light on some of the details, mm-hmm. which is not terribly uncommon for a state of the state. I mean, it's equal parts setting the vision and also, a, you know, it's a more campaign speechy, I think, than some other speeches because it's designed to present a broad, um, you know, not optimistic, but like a broad overview and kind of a... Um, like a summary that you yes, find on the right. back of a book. Right, yeah. So I think I timed it at being mm-hmm. just, just over 30 minutes uh, this year, which is about what we expected. Uh, Dad, Eddie, what did uh, what stood out to you from the speech? It was the expectation matched pretty much what he delivered uh, to me. It's There's, as Micah said, there's a lot of nuances that's in the background that they don't talk about, but the stuff that he presented to me was more self-serving. It is still forward-looking. I feel strongly he's he's angling for a, a national position mm-hmm. uh, when he gets done with this, uh, this state. I think this has given him the right backdrop to be able to, he thinks, to be able to launch himself on a national stage by hitting those high points. Uh, again, the the positive parts that he put, uh, the things where we are top 10 in, it's good, but a, Again, there's no mention of what we were top 10 in before, and now we're not, Mm -hmm. which I think is more of a true indication of how effective his policies are. Sure. Or not, I guess. That's the way you look at it. It's basically same old, same old. It's what I expected, pretty much. I'm a little discouraged, but I, you know... Politics makes you that way. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly can. And I think I, I think you raise a good point that with any speech like this, it is important to consider who is the speech for, right? Like what's the – because the governor in Oklahoma is a fairly weak position. They don't have a lot of power to enact policy, right? That is distinctly the role of the legislature. And I think we've seen over the last four years that Governor Stitt has really had a hard time accepting the legislature as a co-equal body of government where he especially coming in had some uh, coming in in 2018 or 2019 he had some very specific policy goals that he wanted some of which he got a lot of which he didn't and we kind of saw some of that erode over the last four years right and I think you know it's hard to tell uh, based on people standing and sitting in the room because you know on the camera you can't tell exactly who it is necessarily and but we'll see what happens and because the speech was somewhat light on specifics for some of these policies. We'll be interested to see how the legislature responds or doesn't to some of this. I think in particular, um, the one of the things that stood out to me that I did not expect was his comments about wanting to reduce the personal income tax rate to 3.99%, which would be, or 3.9%, regardless, it would be about a quarter of a percent decrease in our state income tax, right? So for each person... 600 million total? Yeah, you know, a quarter percent, not a quarter, not 25%, but a quarter of your the rate that you pay, right? So... Right. Well, I mean, all total, that that I think that was about five to $600 million, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and that number stands out to me, that quarter percent, because back in 
2016, our state had a, a $1.3 billion budget shortfall, and that budget shortfall was caused by some legislation several years prior that set up a what was called a trigger bill, right? So when the economy grew by a certain percent, it triggered a quarter of a percent oh. decrease in the state income tax rate. Yes. And that happened two or three times over several years. Yeah. And that, I mean, that results in less money coming into the state. Now, the idea is if the economy continues to grow, then the net amount of money remains the same. And that's problematic because costs also increase, so you have to have more money. The, the time value of money dictates that things yes. are going to cost more in a decade than mm-hmm. they do today. But also, the economy doesn't always grow, right? right? And so when we hit um, a, a rough patch in the mid-2000s, right, or the mid-2010s in 2015, that resulted in our state having a billion dollars less than we thought, and we exhausted our rainy day funds, and we ran out of money, and we had to cut state services by a huge amount. And you know, they often say that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And this was like cat and bat. I mean, it was just like <laughs> this was a Dr. Seuss rhyme here where it is exactly the same kind of thing. And we've said this is coming. Thing, things are going okay. We got some federal money. Our pockets feel a little heavy. We got some money to spend. Mm-hmm. And if we do it like this, like he proposes, I would guarantee in five to seven years, something will, you know, the cyclical nature of the economy will hit us. Uh, and we will be back in the same boat where we have blown through our $4 billion in savings. And we are again looking at cutting state services in a way that directly harms Oklahomans. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wish there was a second speech. like uh, Kind of like whenever you go to a movie that's about a book, you know that it's not going to reach every single mm-hmm. detail that you want. Mm-hmm. I would go to a movie that was like eight days long if it went over every <laughs> single right. Part. I would love for there to be like a second state of the state where mm-hmm. like you could he would go directly into every single little thing. I don't care if it took all day right. or all week. I would love to hear that because it's it was it was so vague. Right. How interesting. Like the unabridged version. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting. I know that there are responses um, being held right now. Um, the Democratic Party is at least in the House is doing their response and. Um, some other local groups, um, Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy and some others are doing responses today as we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it'll be interesting in the coming days to see the collective response. Um, you know, we mentioned fact-checking earlier. Mm-hmm. In, in years past, um, the good journalists over at Oklahoma Watch will often publish the full text of the governor's speech with um, comments kind of in line, right, with a kind of a um, – the term for it here, but kind of marked up with their fact checks and their kind of context there. And I always find those helpful for getting a better understanding. I think so. I'll wait and see. Um, But those are always kind of helpful. I think, Mm -hmm. like you said, for kind of understanding the context around some of these things. Yeah. I think uh, it sounded like he hit all the topics that we anticipated, right? There were certainly um, social issues. I mean, he mentioned guns. He mentioned protecting life and abortion and those kind of things, trans rights and transgender children and healthcare. That was a big social issue. Obviously he led the speech with conversation about uh, education and mm-hmm. vouchers. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. He talked about military. He talked about economic growth. He talked about transparency again. And it's funny to me that he always says that he wants to be a leader in transparency. I want that for our state too. Yes. I, I have not yet heard what he 
means by that or what mm -hmm. that's going to look like. There are some really key ways we could do it, uh, but so far that has not been the case between his administrations, like no bid contracts and um, other kind of efforts to circumvent the usual system. And it's, it's been notably less transparent in mm -hmm. many ways. I, I think part of it too is he got a little, I don't know if I would call it punch drunk, but when he first got elected, the Congress, the legislature gave him more power mm -hmm. as as the governor than had previously been done. And I think he tr tried to push that too far mm -hmm. too many times where he assumed he had more power than what they had actually released to him. And and I've, we've seen him kind of rein him back a little bit, but this is the season now where you take everything you've done right and you push it to the limit. You mm -hmm. advertise that as this is the way I am. And you tend to ignore, push under the rug, all the bad things mm -hmm. like swaddlies and and you know, the other things that are coming out that don't get mentioned. Right, right. You know, one thing we did not hear, I don't think, in the speech was any mention of tribal gaming or the expansion of uh, of sports betting, which we know, at least from the news, is one of his priorities, something he supports and he's mentioned the last few years. Um, it was interesting that, that was omitted, as that tells me either it is not popular with the legislature or perhaps not popular with the voters, at least according to polling they may have done, uh, but for something that he could hang his hat on that would bring in new revenue, um, I'm interested in why that was not included in the speech. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Uh, before we wrap up, let's go back to the education conversation uh, because, uh, Eddie, before we started recording, we were talking about this, and you said you had heard a quote that stood out to you about um, school choice versus um like student choice or family's choice. Yeah, it was uh, an article that I saw on, on Facebook this morning. Was It talked about one of the gentlemen who was in there was talking about how STIT and the government is presenting this as, as parent parental choices, that the voucher systems and all the stuff that they are bringing forward as giving parents the choice is true up to the point where they stop. And that point past that is it's not really parental choice. It's parental offer to send their kids to a private school. But the real choice is done by those private schools to say, do you meet our requirements? Do you have anything that we can't supply, like for disadvantaged or disabled kids? They don't have those programs in place, and they don't have to do that. They have to leave that information and that, that training with the public schools. And so the schools themselves are the ones that are making the choice on whether they want to admit those kids. So they're not going to let the kids with behavior problems or with developmental problems or with anything else that's going to cost them money to, to take care of. Mm -hmm. So they get to exclude a large portion of the people that most need those services. Right. So the idea of choice is really, for many people, just the idea, but there's no actual ability to choose involved because there's not exactly there's not an option mm -hmm. unless they happen to have a kid that's a great uh, football prospect mm -hmm. or basketball prospect or you know i mean you've got to have money to get there and the the stipend that you're going to be getting from the state is not going to pay the full tuition at those schools mm -hmm. that the people are going to want to go to we talked about this last week scott and i on the podcast that they just released the like the tuition figures for some of the big private schools here in Oklahoma City Metro, mm -hmm. um, and the the average, I mean, the increases were like five to twenty thousand dollars a year. Yes. That was just the increase, and it's like, well, the voucher was not going to be that much money. No, and it's, so it was uh, 
Stip proposed eight thousand, or mm-hmm. I guess Walters did. I, mm-hmm. However, they're working yeah. that, <laughs> but uh, they wanted eight thousand. They cut it back because that was met with incredible, a, you know, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, so he's. I think the current one is five thousand. Is what they're asking for right. in those vouchers. And then they also did part of the analysis this morning was what they cost in like the local private schools, anywhere from eight to fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Well, who's going to make up the gap? Right, right. Yeah, the truth is most people can't afford the, the, the balance of that, and, and then they don't effectively have a choice. To say nothing about transportation to get there. and the, you Exactly. That also doesn't include, like, additional fees and sports and all that kind of stuff that, that adds up, I think, for, for a lot of families. Sure. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. and We'll probably talk more in a future episode about the the – kind of town hall meeting that Superintendent Walters had in Atoka that Speaker McCall attended. There was some really there was a good news coverage of that um, where, you know, the, the speaker showed up and pushed back on some things. And Walters said, well, I don't think we're going to take any money away from you all here. But, you know, back in Tulsa, we're going to break them into multiple school districts. Well, that right. might resonate well in Atoka, of a, you know, which is a town of like, I don't know, 23,000 people, I think. It's very different than Tulsa. And the idea of dividing a school district into multiple districts still implies you're going to have then multiple administrators. You have to, you it's whatever the opposite of economies of scale, right? It's like exactly. um, you you have to then inject more money into administrative overhead, which is something you also don't want to do. Um, and so I just feel like maybe they're still working it out, but there's mm-hmm. a number of these policy proposals that don't quite match up. Like they'll say one thing and then say something else, and those two things don't jive together. Right. This is like all the abortion bills they put out mm-hmm. that were overlapping and sometimes conflicting, with, conflicting one another, yeah. with one another, what they said and what they did. It's the same kind of thing. This is that that big of an issue. I think the education and the future funding of education is going to be just as big as the abortion bill. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Know, and and it, it it literally affects even more people because this is, this is our future, our kids right. mm-hmm. that are out there, my grandkids, your kids, yeah. your kids to be it's <laughs> <laughs> yes my kids to be yes <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's something that's going to affect all of us and if they go down this road of basically bankrupting the public school system this does not bode well for the economic system that mm-hmm. follows right well and in the constitution the state constitution it requires the government to provide you know free education for everybody. residents yeah for everybody so mm-hmm. yeah the education system does uh worry me not just as a student, but as somebody who's about to graduate. So I'm almost done counting the days and praying that I don't trip on my way to the finish line. (laughs) Um, But I am increasingly concerned because I know a lot of students who are inside um, primary education, then going up to higher education. And if I might get personal for a moment, I, and this is coming from somebody who doesn't know that much about law and doesn't know that much about what's going on in politics. I just kind of started learning about this. The issue for me isn't, I feel like it should be partially inside higher education as well. A lot of the vouchers that I've heard and a lot of things that he said, I understand to be for the, um, what is it called? It's not primary. Elementary. Elementary and up. K through 12. Yeah, Yeah. K through 12. And nothing for um, the higher education, but yet he wants all of these specialists and pioneers, but my gosh, I can tell you this much. I've 
my parents have been learning more about gap year programs mm -hmm. as they've gone. But I, like I've told them straight up, I wish I would have known about some of these places because college has nearly killed me mm -hmm. and nearly killed about every person that I know. And all of our teachers are struggling. All of us are struggling. And it, it hurts my heart because I've, I've made it out, basically. I survived. That's what my family always said. With public school, I didn't graduate public school. I survived mm -hmm. public school because I have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And I did not get the care that I needed or the education that I needed. My parents taught me how to read. That's not to say that I didn't have great teachers, but mm -hmm. I had some fantastic teachers, and they're the reason why I made it out. And then into college, there's so many expectations that are placed on students, teachers, and families alike that aren't being met because, you know, it's easy to tell somebody, you're the future, go out, be great. It's a lot harder to do that when you don't get paid enough. Right. Your parents don't get paid enough. You don't have enough health care. And your teachers aren't getting paid enough. And your school isn't getting paid enough. You're not getting the support that you need. And I... <laughs> I remember asking my teachers, what would you do if you had the funding of like the state, um, like the defense department? Right. And mm. they said, I don't even know where to begin. Right. I don't even know where to begin. And I wish that he would have a bigger focus for higher education. I wish that, because yes, the K through 12 is our future, but the most, the most upcoming future is already being impacted and waiting 10 years for this group to come through. That's too long. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's right. too long. So the biggest thing to do if you're going to act reflexively and not preventatively is to help those in the higher education, help those teachers. And I'm glad that he said he's for raising teachers money. Um, I hope that he does that. That would be fantastic. Teachers should make six figures. School should be palaces. Yes, school should be palaces. To quote the great West Wing. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's really that's really good perspective, Micah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, I think this is going to bring us to the end of the episode for this week. We will be back next week. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Micah, for being here. Micah Waves. Thank you. <laughs> Eddie, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next week. Scott and I will be joined by special guest Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne. And um, if you have thoughts on the speech or questions for Commissioner Osborne, please send them to us at podcast at letsfixthis.org. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. <laughs>